And the idea of calling really goes to not, not your, your identity, but but your purpose and the way you function in the world. You're given these callings, and, and in Ephesians 4, these are given to the church, their fivefold gifting. And, and I believe that we receive our callings, our distinct contribution uh, to the world. This is how God has intended you to make your, make your mark. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here, and I think it's because it's year end, but I'm feeling a little sentimental, so I just wanted to say before we jumped in how thankful I am to all of you who are listening for being part of this meaningful conversation. And every once in a while, we get notes from pastors on social media or on email, and it means so much to myself and the team. Like, honestly, if we knew that this was just helping one pastor to be encouraged in their work, we'd feel like it's all worthwhile. But to know that there's hundreds of Canadian pastors that are part of this conversation each week, it's so life-giving and meaningful. And that's why we do this. We want to come alongside you as you love and serve your church family in Jesus' name. And today, as we're recording this intro, I'm here with my friend Leash. And Leash, again, like I told the listeners already, I'm feeling sentimental. I'm aware that this might be our last time in 2021 recording together these intros. So thank you on behalf of myself and the team for all the time that you invest in making this possible. A lot of our listeners know that you're part of the leadership team at Village Church in Calgary, but you also have a new role with Ally Global, which is an organization that I love. Tell us really quickly about your new role. Yeah, Jay, I am super excited. I love Ally and the work they do. And if you don't know about Ally Global, they actually work towards ending human trafficking. And I just recently went with them to Nepal. That's one of the countries they work in. And they have these safe homes where they provide safety and healing and restoration for these survivors. And it's incredible. It's truly changing lives. And I get to be a part of it. And it's an honor. And what I get to do is actually partner with churches and how they can come alongside us and support the work that we're doing. Yeah, I love the work of Ally Global. I have too been following them for a long time. My wife and I support their work and we're honored to do it. At least one of the things that I think is really important for church leaders now more than ever, although it's always been important, is that the church really wrestles with their part that they're playing in global issues like human trafficking, poverty release, justice, and mercy. It's always been at the heart of the church. But as we think about reaching this generation, they're asking for the church to participate in meaningful ways. And so to know that people like you are working with Ally to build a bridge, I know the team at Compassion and IJM and World Vision, they're trying to build bridges with the church. And for me as a church leader, we're looking for ways to participate. And so I love the work you're doing. I'm so grateful for these ministries that God's put in Canada that is bridging between the church and such meaningful global work. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, Jason, I love that. That is so important. I completely agree. So as we continue on to this week's episode, we are coming to the end of the year, like you mentioned. So what's on the docket for CCLN as we bring 2021 to a wrap? Yeah, we want to do a good job. I'm not always good at celebrating the past. I'm always kind of looking forward. Maybe some listeners know how that feels, but we want to take some time to celebrate all that's happened. So to wrap up this year, a team is putting together sort of a year-end celebratory report that outlines the different things CCLN was up to and able to be a part of in the last year and what we hope to do in 2022. And so you can find that report on our social media channels and on ccln.ca. And as I've come to the end of the year, I've also just felt a lot of gratitude towards those who support the work of CCLN. 
as a lot of people know, CCLN is a nonprofit. So all of what we do is dependent on generous individuals and churches who believe in our mission to come alongside churches across Canada and pastors to encourage and support them and to see a hopeful future for the church in Canada. So first of all, I want to say thank you to all of those who are listening that have given either one time or on a regular basis. And I want each person that have given to know the impact this is making. Like I've got pastors in mind that have reached out and expressed how this has brought lift to them this last year. And that's because of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as we approach the end of the year, I want to invite you to partner with us. If you've benefited from this podcast or if you've seen the Church Leaders Incubator activity and want to get behind it, if you believe in pastors and want to come alongside our vision of seeing a thriving church across our country, please consider partnering financially with us this month or on an ongoing basis. Whether it's big or small, we'd love for you to be part of this community who are supporting this work. And if you want to talk with us about what it means to become a partner church— It'd be so exciting to see a number of churches who have a heart to bless and serve other churches come together to make this work possible. We'd love to discuss it more with you. So you can find out more about how to partner at cclnca slash partner. That's cclnca slash partner. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Jay. Well, today on the podcast, we have Alan Hirsch with us. He is one of the leaders behind the missional church movement. He's a respected thought leader and author of numerous books, including the latest about the five-fold ministry gifts called 5Q. He's been working for decades with churches across the world to find effective and gospel-centered ways to reach people and make disciple-making cultures. He's a friend from Down Under, and we are so thankful he took the time to share with us. A big thank you to the folks at Trinity Western University for making this episode possible. One of the reasons why Trinity Western exists is to see Christian leaders raised up, educated, and equipped. And if you're wanting to build into your future, or if you're unsure what's next and you're looking for a great place to find that clarity of calling, consider Trinity Western. For example, you can complete their Biblical Studies and Christian Thought program to be shaped and challenged in your discipleship to Jesus. Or through their Master of Arts in Leadership, you can become a skilled leader who is highly needed in today's career marketplace. So to find out more about all the incredible programs that they offer and potentially your future, visit their website at TWU.ca. Again, that's TWU.ca. Well, Alan Hirsch, it's, it really is an honor to be with you. Um, I'm a pastor and I planted a church with a few friends. And in our journey of making sense of planting together, we discovered your book, 5Q, And among other things you've written and said over the years, so much of your body of work has both encouraged, challenged, and shaped my vision of the church, my vision of Jesus, and I'm just really honored to be with you. So thanks for making time to carry on a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. Jess, no, well, that's a a very warm uh, greeting. Thank you, brother. Um, I'm always amazed that I end up in kind of people's conversations anyway, but I'm always grateful for it, and I take it very seriously. And yeah, it's uh, good to be here with you. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if this is a cheeky question or not. I know when people ask me like a question like this, I don't always know how to respond, but I'll give it a go anyways. What do you, what would you, how would you name your primary vocation? Like I know you're, you're a pastor, you've planted churches, you're a church planner, you're a writer, but how do you make sense of, because you're a voice in the church, you're a strategist, an encourager, sometimes it's even a, you provoke the right conversation. How do you make sense of the role in which God's given you in the fabric of the church? 
Oh, that's a that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, it, uh, the issue of calling. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm called to broadly to the church. I'm not, um, you know, like I, I'm not particularly denominationally aligned or even kind of aligned, you know, on all the normal theological divides. I feel like I'm, I'm called to kind of somehow dance between those raindrops. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I get kind of a change agent. Uh, I do think part of what I see myself as a custodian of certain ideas mm-hmm. that I feel were bequeathed to me and bequeathed to the church, by the way, long before me, um, in, in helping the church understand um, its, its and particularly in the West, the church in the West, understand its calling and its its uh, its, its agency as a mission a, agent uh, you know, commissioned by God in the world. And so how, how does mission renew the church and movements and so really a custodian of what I call apostolic genius, which is the kind of the the inner logic uh, and spirit of the church um, as movement. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's kind of very obscure, but I love that. And I, you know, like I serve wherever I can as a kind of mentor, teacher, coach. You know, host forums where you know we learn together about how's the church engaged more broadly, in, in, in particularly now in. In, uh, in post-COVID conditions, how do we engage meaningfully in the world? Yeah. Hmm. I want to like lean into that word apostolic a little bit. I think that depending on which tradition you grew up, even to like use it, carries different meanings. But I think that it's an important word and you connected it to the word movement. Can you just speak to like, do some like term definition for us as you say like apostolic instinct or movemental thinking like give us a little bit of like a topography of the language and then i'd love just to lean into that a little bit mm. yeah it's interesting that the the church is alienated from that term which is quite strange when you think about it it's used quite extensively throughout scripture um and really the the word apostello means one who is sent um and it translates in latin into missio uh, the sent one or sentness uh, that's the correlation in, in you know, so we have the word mission. So essentially the, the, the apostolic is essentially the missionary function or the missionary understanding of the church. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a critical aspect of New Testament spirituality, but I would argue, it, you know, even more deeply than that, it, it's rooted in Jesus's apostolicity, it's his sentence, Um and, and so it's kind of, you know, uh, I, so I think like, you know, traditions have suppressed it and have even banned the word. But but uh, by doing that, they kind of, we, we, we leave ourselves somewhat blind to what the Bible's speaking about when it uses those words. Interesting point in, in case, case in point. Um, uh, the, we, we use the word pastor, um, which I would translate shepherd or the Bible, you know, it's, it's the shepherd function in Scripture. We we use the pastor the word pastor for every form of leadership in the church, right? Um, but it, actually, as a noun for for ministry, it's only ever used once. <laughs> no kidding, it's only, you know as a noun, a naming word, it's used once in Ephesians four. Actually, um, the word apostle is used about eighty two times, and if we don't know what apostle means, it means we are blinded to what the Bible means by those things. So the apostle mm-hmm. is really essentially the the sent one, the one who feels most strongly the, the, the mission of the church and is likely to design the church or lead the church along those lines of being a missionary agency in the world. And why I think like movements uh, correspond to them is because um, being a church planter on the frontier, it kind of it take Paul, for instance, um, 
um, he pushes out of frontiers. You know, he's seeding the gospel. He's planting the gospel onto new ground. He then guards the gospel in 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 keeping it. You know, in these letters about maintaining the integrity of the you know the theology behind the gospel, and um, and then he networks and creates an organization that's translocal. You know, by nature, but it's extending the church. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we mean by movement. So um, yeah, it's a very important function, and I think we've got to grapple with it mm-hmm. uh, and repent of. I think you know. Uh, lack of attention to the authority of Scripture and theologos, God words in Scripture. The word prophet, by the way, is another word, 144 times in the mm. New Testament. Most people haven't got a clue what a prophet is. Now, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. The pastor, by the way, is used once. Mm. <laughs> we seem to know what a pastor is, but we don't know what the other ones are. That is a problem, friends. It means that we're linguistically blinded, we're theologically blinded to the meaning of what mm. God is saying in those words. We need to recover. We need to repent and open our minds to think again. Yeah. I think for me, as a pastor, <laughs> now I'm self-aware of using the term, um, I, I'd love to just lean into this idea of like, what happens when, as a, as a minister, as a pastor, you're unsure of, of your relationship to your calling or your identity, whether it's, you said shepherd, like, but I think sometimes that doesn't fit. It's like I'm maybe feel like an apostolic leader, or you know, to use the terms you use, prophetic leader. And these are Bible terms; these are Ephesians words. Um, what happens when we don't understand our identity or don't uh, lean into our distinct calling? Like, what's at stake there in terms of understanding this as we live into our calling? Yeah, it's a very, a very, again very just, a very good uh, question, but I think that goes to the issue of vocation or calling. Um, and it's interesting that Ephesians 4 uses that language, strive for the callings you have received, right? And the idea of calling really goes to your not, not your, your identity, but but your purpose and the way you function in the world. Um, you're given these callings, and, and in Ephesians 4, these are given to the church, the fivefold gifting uh, um, by Jesus as he ascends into heaven. So it's a very authoritative act. And, and I believe that we receive our callings, our distinct contribution. Uh, to the mm-hmm. world. In other words, um, this is how God has intended you to make your make your mark in the world. Um, if you, I can relate to what you're saying, is that I was called, you know, I was a pastor for many years um, in a local church and in a very difficult kind of setting, um, working actually with Mark Sayers on team and all that. So you mentioned Mark before, but um, um, and it was a difficult inner city kind of context. And truthfully, um, I mean. I, I can do pastoral work. I can do the shepherding function, but it, I'm not that good at it. And if I was mm. forced into that role, you know, to be that as a, my primary role, I, I, I think I would have left the ministry by now. In fact, I was many times in, mm. like in fetal position because I, I, I was kind of. I don't think I was designed for that. I don't have the skills needed to be a good shepherd. Um, but as soon as I stepped into the more apostolic role and I began to get clarity on what that meant. Scripture and meet other people who had the similar clarity. It changed everything for me because I I feel called to be that person that you know sent into the world to help the church recover its sentness as 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 as, a, as, a, as God's mission agency in the world. So that's my calling, you know. So I I would now do anything for it. I mean, you don't have to pay me. I do it, mm-hmm. and so so you would too because this is what God has intended for you. So I think much is involved in actually discovering your 
particular profile, and I don't believe you're just simply one, by the way, Jason. I think, as you know, I think, um, uh, you know, we 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 combine combinations of these five to 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 various degrees. You know, yeah, all these things exist in you already. For a younger leader trying to discover their wiring or their sense of calling, practically speaking, what does that look like to figure out where do I fit in all of this? Well, you know, I would say that um, these things are, you, you know, you discern them because you 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 come to know yourself, and I think you you know that yourself. But I think most importantly in the church, I think we know ourselves in relationship to other people. Uh, in other words, we need I need you to be me, and I need I need the body of Christ to name help me understand who I am and my contribution. So I need the feedback of the rest of the body. And so I think um, I think this is best discerned, APS identity is best discerned in, in a community of faith where people can speak freely about how who we understand ourselves to be, but how we're also being received by other people and get feedback. In other words, I might think I'm an apostle, mm-hmm. but people say, no, 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 you're an evangelist, you know, you're impacted. But here's the thing is, Jason, is that it's important for people to know what they words mean so that you know when when we use the word apostle in our community this is what we mean by that grappling with the Mm -hmm. scriptures but mean this is what how we understand it so you have common understanding if you don't get that right then all the stereotypes will 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 take over and there's enough of them around of all the all the all the the ministry functions have got stereotypes and i think you've got to be so i would i would say as a group of people is to get in touch with that that whole APS to the Ephesians 4 typology of ministry, grapple with it, and then begin to help each other identify where you actually fit. And then I do have an assessment that does help, it takes the guesswork out. And it's also, there's a 360 assessment called the APS test. And where, where can we find that that resource? Best place, the resource for most things APS that I've got is on the 5qcentral.com website. So 5q as in 5q as in IQ. 5qcentral.com, mm-hmm. and then there are various tests there and assessments that can help both churches as organizations but also individuals discover their, their unique profile and shape. Okay, we'll make sure we link to all that in the show notes. I, I want to lean into this just a little bit more. If you're up for it, I'm just so grateful for you leaning into this with me. Okay, you discover some of your wirings, you do it in the context of community. Where have you seen inter- uh, how is the right word? Um, interdependency and giftings function well in a local church because typically there's one senior leader, you know, or that's most common. Not always in church history. There's lots of examples of way more diversity, but in an average church, there's one senior leader. They might have a senior leadership team, uh, and that senior leader can have a variety of those gifts. I have a theory that if you have to try to be all five, you can't do it with joy for very long. Like eventually, you're just gonna lose the joy and then burn out. Um, how, how have you seen? people have interdependency of giftings, not codependency, but interdependency of giftings in the context of a local church structure that's healthy and leads to flourishing. Oh, I, uh, the funny thing is that I think we're beginning to see this more and more, and it's so, it's so exciting because it really does have impact. When you're not misplacing people into situations where they can't, like you're saying, I'm not made for that, so don't, you know, I can do that for a little short term, but, you know, you, you give me long term, I'm burning out. I'm not going to stick around here. So I think... Uh, I have seen some wonderful examples. Most recently, I, I wrote a book uh, alongside two other friends of mine, Lance Ford and, and Rob Wagner, called The Starfish and the, the Church. Uh, Starfish and the Spirit, sorry. Um, and in it, we actually 
talk about this, and it's based a lot in in, in experience in the, the KC Underground, the Kansas City Underground. It's a good example of it. But, yeah, they take the Apis' uh, dimension very, very seriously, and it works very beautifully. And, there's, I mean, ways is, is that, you know, you can, for one, is resolving problems, right? But we've jumped to this without giving any definitions for the others. Let me give you very... Yeah, go for it. Yeah, please do. So, and show perhaps how we can apply this um, yeah. in, in a local setting. Um, so apostolic is the missionary function, the pioneering, uh, church planting, innovation, and, and entrepreneur. You know, it's pushing outwards, planting the gospel into new grounds. So it's highly experimental, and it's pioneering. Um, the, the prophetic is basically, I think, two dimensions to it. One is to call us Godward, to maintain the God relationship, the covenant relationship God has established with his people, and then to remind us of our covenant obligations in the world, to live justly, to live faithfully to this one. So that um, so one is kind of more what I call a vertical, um, that is connection with God, and then the horizontal is justice, consistent kind of lifestyle, you know, to, to who God is. You shall be holy because the Lord your God is holy, right? So, so that's the prophetic. The evangelistic is the, of course, the recruiter to the cause, the singer of the song, the, the, the you know, the, the I guess the inbuilt marketing department of the church, you know, the person who's able to get people to buy into, buy into the movement as it unfolds. The, um, the shepherd is the one who creates community and defends it. I mean, you talk about human flourishing, and I think that's the shepherd's or the pastor's function, and the teacher is the one who brings wisdom and understanding, um, mm. uh, brings you know awareness of what we're doing, but also is, a, is is not just conceptual, not just intellectual. It's um, it's instructional. It helps us in the way. It's discipleship as well. So those five, you know, are also functions of ecclesia. Every church mm. is meant to have a missionary function. You should, you know. No one gets of that. Every church is meant to have a prophetic function. You, you're meant to worship and be consistent and live, you know, hold to an, a way. Um, evangelistic, everyone's got to do that, right? Shepherding, you're meant to be a community. You're not meant to suck at that, you know. You're meant to be wise. and So, all the, so we don't get to cherry pick these, right? Mm. God gave these. Uh, Jesus has designed the church for for world transformation everything it needs is already there and uh, so these are there and then so when you come to problem solving if you if the team understands and everyone's got their space within the team you know each other's identities and break you can begin to problem solve in a new way so for instance jason so let's put at the middle of a circle a problem so let's say let's okay well it it could a topic let's say church but put the word church in the middle and ask the pastor what is church idealize it Pastor, tell us ideal image of church, and your pastor's going to say, "Well, it's a place people come to wholeness and healing. They kind of they disciples, they knit together, they're learning how to love, they're becoming mature disciples of Jesus." You know, uh, teacher, tell us what do you think the church is? Well, the church is a place of study, of taking God's word seriously, of integrating truth into life, taking truth seriously and loving it. Um, you know, yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, evangelist, what's what's the true church? And so the evangelist is going to say a place where good news is experienced and proclaimed it's a yes it's a god's affirmation of the world all that stuff right prophet is going to be a place where god is loved and obeyed and where you know it's prefigurative community it's kind of living in the way that god intended you know so it's beautiful you know churches are lovely you know love justice and mercy all the good things right and uh, apostle words the church is transformation uh impact you know 
bringing people into the kingdom as it unfolds, and it's a bigger. So all five are necessary. But mm. what, what's the true church? And you have to say, well, it's all of them, isn't it? Mm. And, and the problem is that most of us have a very, very narrow view of what church is because we've narrowed the fivefold typology down to shepherd and teacher. So guess what? We got to, we define church by, huh, funny that, shepherd and teaching outcomes. But the other three are missing. So we don't know how to do mission, have no clue about it, and the church is not geared around it. We, we really suck at evangelism, let's be honest. We're not growing very well, and we're not known to be particularly good news people. Um, and, and then, you know, and, and, uh, and the prophets, you know, well, we don't even believe in those people anymore. You know, they, they were, went down with the Bible, really. You know, it's just we have to, you know, this is a huge root of many of our problems, bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as you hinted at before, Jason, I know I'm dominating here, bro. You just butt in. No, I love it. You don't, don't stop, man. Give me the long, some people on the podcast go, let me give you the short answer. I want the long answer. This is brilliant. Take your time because, because I think here's what, here's what's at stake though. I had this, okay, a retired pastor finished well, finished tired, but finished well, led a big church in Canada, did a great job, led a lot of people, Lord, he would be an evangelist maybe apostolic, um, but was also had to be the teacher, shepherd, the shepherding drained him. The teacher, you know, he, 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 every time he got to preach, he was recruiting people. That's what he's called to do. And the people, and then people on the board said, be more teacher. And he's like, so he, so ran a, a full tenure of ministry, decades in ministry. And then before I planted a church, I took, I asked him for coffee for wisdom and he brought your book 5Q and I'm not trying to pump your tires at all. And it was littered with notes and folded. He goes, I read this after I finished my career. And he goes, I spent my whole career trying, having to be all of these things and I'm exhausted. And he just said, if you can figure out who you are, surround yourself with different gifted wirings, you're going to be able to. And so that's what's at stake for me and why I really am glad we're chatting about it because I think there's people who are starting their ministry careers in the middle of it and already feeling that tension to be all of these things to everyone. And it, it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, bro, one of the things I'm doing at the moment uh, with Peyton Jones, who's just an amazing guy, he's just written a book called Church Plantology, and he's we, we're designing a church planting training um, system based on five fivefold, um, mm. so that you you start off with that way, and also there's implications beyond the church because there are people. So here's the exciting thing about this, Jason, is that these don't only exist in the church; they're part of the orders of creation. They didn't come from nowhere. They didn't. I mean, the language itself, the word apostle is a Greek word, um, one who is sent. Uh, in other words, the function is outside the church as well as inside. Prophet was another function outside the church. Prophetes was like a poet and uh, a fortune teller, I guess, in some ways, but a spiritual person. Evangelist was a secular function. So the wonderful thing is that there are aspects of society which if you get apist right in the church, you begin to correlate better with it, dimensions of society that are similar. Mm. And you have more, you've got more cultural resonance because you're speaking within five voices, uh, five intelligences, not just, you know, two of the five intelligences of Christ in the church. So, yeah, these are, there's so much involved in, in recovering this um, for, for both our mission, our impact, our witness, but also, yeah, for team dynamics, longevity, sustainability and leadership, all that stuff you're referring to. Yes, and as a young guy, I, I, I couldn't give you better. Well, no, there's, there's lots I would say. I'm just simply saying APIST is huge in terms of getting it right. Um, 
and in fact, the, 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 the Ephesians 4 points us towards this. The Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 talks about the unity in the church, strife, the callings and the spirit, the bond of peace, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it goes on to say, you know, in the ascension, Jesus gives apis to the church, to all of us, by the way. It's all another thing. And then in verses 12 to 16, it says why apis is given. Same sentence, so that you might mature, might attain to the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is associated with this that you might be a mature body, um, um, every part connected to the whole, to the head, there's Christ doing what a church should do, right? If you mess around with APEST, you mess around with our body functionality. You, you introduce deep dysfunctionality into the church. And I think that's what we what we have here. Whenever we see in movements that change the world when they start, they've always got APEST. Every time, the functions are fully present. And the good thing is it's already given to us. You don't have to invent this. This is already given, aorist indicative, edothe in the in the in the Ephesians four, seven, and and, and eleven given to the church. Mm. Uh, you can trust that it's already there. Yeah, mm. I spent a lot of time working with Alpha, and I'm not I don't know how familiar with Alpha, but when I first came on staff with Alpha, I remember we we're trying to do an exhibit at a booth somewhere. You know, this is a long time ago. And uh, I was like, well, we should just say like, hey, evangelism's hard. We want to help, you know, or something simple. I don't know. And I was like, no, you can't say evangelism. So for 10 years, we tried not to say the word evangelism. Here we are 10 years later. We still don't have another way of explaining it. So I'm, I'm going to just keep using the word evangelism. I get that it has baggage, all these things, but it's like, I just, I really feel like we struggle even as a church to talk about it. You know, and, and, and that's a problem. You said earlier, like, we got to get the terminology right. And I get that. I get that the word has baggage. Some people think about crusades. as like, I'm not necessarily talking about crusades. I'm, I just mean, like, what happens if we lose that, that one part of our identity as the church, which is to open the doors really wide, to, to, to share the good news real loud, you know? Oh, the and, church will um, be dead. Was- it's the death of the church. If you do not grow by, by evangelism, you die. It's not going to – it won't play. And sometimes I wonder if we're, we're seeing church growth, and I'm not saying this in a cynical way. I've just been, this is a reflection this week, I, you know, there's, we're re-engaging deep church people, which is a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful for that. Sometimes you're seeing people who move, they transition churches, sometimes they switch churches. But I think if we actually across Canada found out how many people this year who had no affiliation with a local church jo- joined the community, it's, I, think, I think the numbers are, are startling low. And, and so, Alan, like, you're talking to church leaders across Canada. What would it look like for us to get real with where we're at and then begin the conversation and say, what must we do that we can look ahead and say, it's not just about church growth, it's something bigger, it's about kingdom growth. How could we begin to think that way? Yeah, actually church growth, uh, the, it can also be related to um, to the APS typologies, by the way, and um, because um, church growth... Uh, is really the recovery of evangelism. It came about mm. by incorporating evangelism back into the functionality of the church. Because prior to that, it was all the parachurches that did that stuff, right? And then in the 60s, 70s, 70s, 80s primarily, it was reintegrated. And um, church, you know, well, of course, evangelist brings people in, and so you've got the megachurch as a result. You didn't know what to do with them once they were in there. You know, just keep keep going, Right. But that's the problem is that it was a one-dimensional response. Mm. Uh, and it, what it lacked is the apostolic function, which was church planting uh, mm. primarily, uh, you know, a major tool of, of the apostolic. So, you know, 
so with all those people that we brought in, we just hoarded them up, right? But 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 you know, where's the sentence gone? Then it's just come to us. Mm. And and so I simply say that that in the long run had short term effect, but had long term damage because it, it it made us very reliant on a kind of a, a single kind of tool, and it it created some success, but it also created dysfunctions in itself because it can't do the whole thing because it lacks the fivefold typology. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that it's just it's one dimensional. But the yes, the, the but but this idea of where do we start? Um, again, I, I think this is a a good opportunity we have now. COVID is just an example of it, or it's just a I mean, just to go back a little bit and say the word apocalypse, as you know, in the scriptures means to reveal, um, to unveil, to expose. And what it means, and when you look at, read the apocalyptic literature, you discover that actually heaven and earth were always intersecting. We were just not aware of it. So we become aware of what was already happening. Uh, we just see this all the way through the book of Revelations. It just opens up and all, all of a sudden, oh, I see. Heaven and earth are radically intersecting. It's always been there, angels and demons, but you don't ever see them, right? So this. Um, what I think we, we've... COVID has been an apocalyptic moment. And I would I'd argue this this is not Canada's problem, but the US's problem particularly, but it might have implications for Canada. The, the apocalyptic moment for the US church, evangelicalism, which has exposed, oh my goodness, um, yeah, all kinds of dysfunctions. And uh, I, I think there can be no avoiding that. Um, but, 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 I think that we've been we've been shown things that were already there. Now we need to become, we need to have repentance, metanoia, metamind, have our paradigm shifted. And I think this is a wonderful moment to have paradigm shifts related to evangelism and everything, right? Um, and I think um, to think again about these things because the church now is much more a wet cement moment. It's a time to really make some moves. I would not sit on my hands at this moment now because one, I think God is testing us and we're being refined and and I think there's no question about that, in my opinion. We have to trust his sovereignty in all things, um, including, you know, the impact of the virus on the church. And we need to repent. And repentance is always opening our mind up to more of God, not less of God. God is always bigger. We've made him too small. And I think that's one of the things we've got to do again, going to the heart of our spirituality, the heart of our our, our sense of who we are and what our role is in the world and who God is. Bigger, not smaller. God is ever greater. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about is, because I, I love the way you think and process and see the movements happening historically, but also within the context of the church, is, you know, so here we are, at least in Canada, when we're recording, I don't know when they're going to share this episode, but, you know, we're, things are opening up. Some provinces are are not as open as others, but we're opening up. The vaccine rate is strong. People are taking the vaccine. And as a result, it seems like the, everything's opening up. Um, and, you know, I have this like kind of low grade, I don't know how to describe it, like conversation with God beneath the surface where I'm like, God, I... Now here we are and exiting a season that was like kind of a, a forced like cell of a kind, you know, like a, a, a restricted season 
what is it you want to do in me? What is it you want to do in the church? And are we going to go back? And there's no back to old normal. I don't think that. But out, out into this next season, and will we have missed? And Mark Sayers on the podcast over a year ago, and he said, there might be a gift wrapped in strange packaging. And I'm wondering, could we have missed some of the gift? I wonder what you think some of the things to grab hold of coming out of this season might be for the church, things we should embrace and say we should not be quick to let go or to miss the gift wrapped in strange packaging. Yeah, yes, no, it's good, well, well phrased. Um, yeah, look, I, yes, I agree with you. I don't think old normal uh, is where we're going. I think, you know, I think one of the things that we we, we, we can learn is, is, uh, is this idea of being a distributed church, uh, not simply... Um, being one that meets on weekends, right? So, like, we, we tend to see the church, and, and let's be honest, the predominant Im- image of the church, of course, was the, the weekend gathering and Sunday, whatever. Um, and our budget says that. Most of our budget goes towards that end. Budget is a theological document, right? Um, and it, that it's all right. You need to worship, right? But we've over over-invested in it. So one of the metaphors I use is uh, this one of if you want to learn to play chess, well, you know, take out your queen first. Um, and then what's going to happen is, and your, your opponent will keep the queen, they're going to cream you for a long time. <laughs> but if you stick with it, you're going to learn what the other chess pieces can do on the board. Mm. And then you're going to, you know, then you can put your queen back in. But now you've learned to play chess. We have over-relied, and for us, I think for largely in the church in the West, is the queen is the Sunday or the sermon, whatever you, whatever you, you know, whatever group you're from. But really Sunday-related or kind of attractional-related. And I think we became over-reliant on it, and I think it's been removed. And and I think we've had to learn what the other chess pieces can do. But those who have not learned that lesson, I think we'll still have to go through that lesson again. Um, mm. And one of the things is I remember hearing a Ghanaian pastor, he's an African immigrant pastor in, in the UK, in England. There's very big African churches there. And he was the leader of one of these. He said, everyone, my friends and other mega churches, are complaining that the, the church is closing, the church is closing, the church is closing. He's saying, no, 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 no. The church isn't closing. The church is opening up in a thousand other places. And there he saw it. He saw that actually the church that we see emerging from this, the churches of, of people in their homes, you know, meeting together maybe for prayer in smaller groups, actually looks more like the early church than the church that we've become accustomed to. Um, and that may be the, one of the big lessons of, of COVID moment is to learn to see ourselves as, as a networked and reorganize, you know, what if we had a church on every corner? Well, if people are willing to use their homes, you can beam your service in, but let them have a little breakfast together and come together and worship as a community locally. Then you're seeing the church break out right across Canada not just in silos on Sunday. And I think we, if we miss that moment, for, you know, I think we miss something that God is definitely trying to teach us now. What he did in the Church of Jerusalem is he had to kind of bring persecution on them to scatter the, the people so that the flames of the gospel could spread throughout, you know, um, the Middle East and Asia and into Europe. And it was that impetus of persecution, in our case the virus, that forced them out. And I think we need to learn that lesson. This is the church's primary mode. It's a missionary mode and it's incarnational. It gets into every neighborhood. And we need to empower all God's people, as many as possible, to be those people in their neighborhoods, to be churches in their street, 
You know, man, what a, what a church would that be? I really appreciate that. I want to ask you about formation. And as a pastor, we think a lot about how our people are being formed, becoming like Christ. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like the power of the counterformative movements of our world, like just the allure, the amount of information, the amount of, I just feel like they're being, the people I'm leading, myself included, are being formed so aggressively by the culture around us, so aggressively, that what, if very effectively, I mean, like, and and to the, and so the, my counter, like when I hear you say that, my first, my, the, the evangelist inside of me, I, I jump up there. I see if people scattered and empowered and reaching their neighbors and that I, I believe it, like my whole heart jumps on it. But then this other part of me goes, but how will I help them? And, and I, I, it could be fear inside of me, but I think part of it is also a, a pastoral instinct to long to see people shaped in the image of Christ. And I wonder what you think, like in a world where uh, that counterformation from the world around us is so strong, how might we as the people of God be formed into the image of Christ in this time? And I know it's a huge question, but I wonder what you might think, because it's like, okay, we got scripture, we go in, but how do we draw people deeper into the form and power of the word and the spirit and community and those things? Yes. Oh, uh, again, brilliant and and um, empathetic question. Um, I, the short answer is, bro, is it's again another d- terrible deficiency in, in our understanding of Ecclesia is, is, is the issue of discipleship and non-discipleship, actually. Mm. And um, uh, I think the real formation process takes place in that lifelong journey, uh, which is not um, optional extra in the New Testament understanding of faith, but in what it means to walk, you know, daily as a kind of someone who's imitating Christ um, and, and learning the art of that, and that everything in my, in my church should help bolster that capacity in me to be that Christ-like person in life, making disciples. And I think um, um, much of the way we understand church is built, and Dallas Willard was absolutely correct in this, is built on the assumptions of non-discipleship. It's actually built precisely on non-discipleship. It's about attendance. And, of course, that's what they do. They come attend, but they come as an audience. So mm-hmm. The very thing that you need to get out of them is this consumptive side. They come as an audience. What is an audience? How is an audience different from a community? An audience is, well, think about when you go to a movie, and it's a red-hot movie, and you come out and you talk to your wife and you're coming out and say, what do you think? Right? Oh, it was great. It was this. And then you critique it, right? Well, that's exactly what happens. Oh, that was a great sermon. It's it's the critique. It's, It's how did you enjoy, did you enjoy that? Were you fed or were you not fed? And I think that's the problem is that we've built the system on feeding people. I remember Bill Howell used an image, and I, I make it a little more vulgar, but I think it's because I think the image will stick in your mind, is that, you know, if you think about like um, um, breastfeeding, like a, a child, a baby child needs to be breastfed. You know, it's, it was, it's a very important concept, and you can, I don't know where you stop it, that's argument or whatever it is, but you should, breastfeeding is good. Um, and so it's appropriate for young believers to be, you know, to be dependent on on being fed. And then somewhere along the line, you know, a child grows up and they, they ought to learn to kind of maybe feed themselves, you know, to make the toast. 
and maybe a piece of bacon and an egg. You know, they're going to learn along the way to feed themselves. And then eventually, as they're going to become adults, they're going to learn to feed other people. Mm. And the problem is that, you know, most churches based on feeding. It's like a feeding. It's like a boob, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, uh, if let's say, you know, you know, you're breastfeeding at, you know, you and I are not going to do it, but let's play play the game. Um, breastfeeding at, at three to five, you know, okay, yes, you can push that out there. But let's say if you're breastfeeding your child at 10, well, yes, yeah, so that's a little odd, I think, right? <laughs> I think most people will say, oh, I don't think that's good, right? It's going to mess with the child, right? And if you're breastfeeding the child at 20, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. There's definitely, you know, and what we've done is that we keep people on the breast. And I think that what we need to do is to think very carefully about disciple-making, what it, discipleship, what it is, imitation of Christ, being conformed to Christ, being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. This is from the Lord. This is all Paul talks about discipleship in those terms. And then, and then, and then, I think disciple making is being clarity about how do we go about doing that in the church. I mean, we'd say it's not incidental; it's built into the very nature and fabric of the church itself, so that the church is designed to be a disciple making agency, and it takes it seriously. Like the movements, anyway. The catechism in the early church they did this. The catechism wasn't just like teaching people heads of doctrine; it was based on the Sermon on the Mount and based on capacity to integrate the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, no less. <laughs> we need catechism in that sense, formation in the way of Christ as community so that we become in Christ like people who can feed other people, um, disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples, and then you got yourself a movement again. That's the effect I have uh, reading you, listening, and then chatting with you today is um, a sense of like there's a sobering, here's where things are at. But like my general emotion right now is I'm really excited. God could do a new thing. And uh, I think the times are serious. I think lots is at, lots is at stake for the church. But I love, I want to end there because I love that. Like to imagine to rediscover the adventure of joining God in the renewal of all things. You are been so generous with your time and I'm really grateful. So thanks for spending time with us today. Jason Ballard, good to meet you, brother, and it was really good to be with you and your audience. Thanks. Well, thank you, Alan, for joining us this week. We hope as you think about mission, reaching people, and raising up disciples that this conversation can be helpful. And if you'd like to keep the ball rolling on this kind of thinking, head to the show notes at ccln.ca to grab the links to his books, movements, and other work so you can keep learning and understand more of what he shared today. Well, it's kind of crazy, but this is one of our final podcasts of 2021. It's been an incredible year with so many great guests, international voices like Tim Mackey, Miles Tolman, Drew Hun. Kara Powell, and then lots of great Canadian pastors like Vijay Krishnan, Keith Taylor, The Bassettes, and Miranda, Matt Tapley, and more. So as a way to end off the year strong, in a few weeks, we are going to be sharing the best of 2021 episode with clips and commentary on the year that was. And for those of you who are newer, maybe it can give you an idea of which episodes to go back and check out during the Christmas break. Well, that's everything. Thank you so much for listening and bye for now.